What's up, you guys? I'm Anya. And I'm Kylie. And this is Two Degrees Hotter, the postgrad podcast where we get real about life after college every Tuesday. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Two Degrees Hotter. You may notice I am missing my co-host today, and that is because Kylie is in the thick of final season at law school. So let's all send her good vibes and good energy because I know she's having a pretty hard time right now. It's her first final season, and I know things are pretty tough. So send her good vibes, and let's hope she comes back better than ever next week. But it's okay because this week we have a great friend of mine on the show. Her name is Dana. Something that we talk a lot about on the show, as you guys know, is you know, not having to have it all figured out so young, you have time, you have time to pivot, all of that. And I think she is a really great example of someone who really pursued their dreams, even if it felt like it was, quote, late in the game for them. So um, just as a little preview, she was a marketing major with kind of a specialty in fashion. So she had done all of her internships in fashion, really thought she was going to go into the fashion industry, worked for some major brands. um, And then now her title at her job is actually a document management analyst at the United States Attorney's Office in the District of Massachusetts. So definitely a huge pivot, as I'm sure you guys can tell. And we talk a lot about her story, why she decided to pivot, how she did it, what advice she has for people that are looking to do the same thing. And if nothing else, I just think she's a really great speaker and um, she really inspires me. So I think you guys are really going to like this episode. But before we get into the main episode content, you know what we're doing. We're doing our segments. So let's hop into the week in review. So being the end of December, all of my working gals know it's annual review season. And that can be a really stressful time um, for all of us in the workforce. Um, this is my first you know, full-time job annual review and I actually had it earlier today. Um, and it was really nerve-wracking. You know, there was some prep involved doing a lot of reflection on the last year or like seven months for me. And I just think it can be a really stressful time for a lot of people. You know, maybe like a bonus is relying on it. Maybe your next year's salary is relying on it. It's just a lot of nerves and I totally get that. But I just want to be here and tell you that you are doing so much better than you think you are. And the fact that you are still powering through your job in a pandemic and likely exceeding expectations, even if you don't think you are. I just wanted to let you know that I'm proud of you. And even though it's a stressful season, it'll be over soon. Yeah. So that's one work thing that I kind of wanted to touch on. Another work thing that I wanted to touch on is the fact that our intern is ending soon, our co-op. If you guys remember, this is the first time I've ever directly managed someone. So her name is Emma and she is ending her co-op. I guess when the time this comes out, it'll be like, this will be her last week. Um, And I'm not sure if she listens. I'm going to tell her that I talked about it. But I just want you to know if you're an intern, you are like so much more valued than you think you are. She is like so critical to our day-to-day, to my day-to-day. She like really facilitates all of our social media, all of our like success stories, like everything for my job. She's such a big help. And I know a lot of people listening might be in intern right now looking for internships. I've had internships that they might have not felt like super confident about. That was something that I struggled with in the past. But um, as like a full-time employee on the other side, I just really want to reiterate how critical, (laughs) at least at my um, organization, interns are to like day-to-day operations. So whether you're an intern, whether you're a full-time employee, I just really want to, I want you to give yourself a pat on the back because everyone is doing so much better than they think, um, especially during a pandemic, especially during 
you know, an economic recession. Like there is so much going on. And the fact that you are still doing your day to day and doing it well um, is such a testament to your strength. So I just want to gas us all up a little bit because I know it can be a hard season, all sorts of wrap ups, whether it be annual reviews, whether it be finals. I just think um, it can be stressful right before the holidays. And I just want to let you know that you're all doing great and I'm proud of you. Even if you're not proud of you, I'm proud of you. So that's it for my week in review. Let's jump into the favorites. So this week, I wanted to talk about my Spotify wrapped. Um, If you're like me, you probably freak out every year when the Spotify wrapped thing comes out. I will say I did not story it. No shame to anybody that did story it, but... I just didn't this year because I knew I was going to talk about it to all of you lovely people. So I figured I would walk through my top artists and my top songs uh, because I think this type of like, I love data in general. Like you guys don't really know me in a work context, but I'm a big data nerd. Not that I'm like good with numbers, but like I'm good with, I'm decently good with systems that can like synthesize numbers to mean things. So like Salesforce and Excel and whatever. And I love getting like meaningful data points out of all these numbers. So satisfying. So I love seeing this kind of stuff. So I discovered 607 new artists this year. I also listened to 288 genres, including 91 new ones. I thought that was pretty good. My top genres were pop, chill hop, modern rock, lo-fi beats, and vapor soul. I will say the lo-fi beats is probably because of a study playlist that I used a lot before I graduated and sometimes now when I like really need to focus on a task. I listen to the Jazz Vibes playlist on Spotify so it does mess with my results a little bit because it's just the same playlist on repeat when I'm really trying to focus but my top song of the year it was a little bit of a surprise to be honest it was Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves and I really went through a phase with her in the summer you guys know so I guess it makes sense but I was surprised about it. My second song is Adore You by our king, Harry Styles. My third song is High Horse by Casey Musgraves. My fourth song is Are You Bored Yet by Wallows. And my fifth song is Watermelon Sugar by Harry Styles. So I was actually a little surprised because I actually felt like I had branched out a little bit this year. Like I thought that I had discovered some like indie artists and like none of them made it into this playlist. But I think it's because I really did it like towards the end of the year. And if you guys didn't know, Spotify wrapped only covers until October 31st. So I think it's really been like in the more recent months and it hasn't been captured here. So you might have that experience too, if you're wondering why your stats seem a little bit off. But my top artists of the year were Harry Styles, The 1975, Casey Musgraves, Chelsea Cutler, and then Quinn, 92. Um, This is actually the first year that I've ever had Spotify wrapped that my number one artist was not The 1975. So I think that's kind of interesting that Harry beat them out this year. I mean, I'm not surprised given the fine line timing and everything towards the end of the year last year. And then my minutes listened was 43,610. And I actually feel like I listened to less music this year than previous years just because I wasn't commuting. Like my commute was a huge part of my time that I was listening to music. So like walking to campus, commuting to my job, like I listened to music exclusively during those things or podcasts. Um... So I kind of thought that I had listened to less music this year, but I feel like that's a decent number. I did the math and it translates to 30 like full days. So I feel like that's pretty good. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So just wanted to talk through that. I love this kind of stuff. So DM me your Spotify wrapped. I'm not the type of person that gets annoyed seeing it. I think it says a lot about a person. So I'm interested to see yours. Also a side note is I made my winter playlist as well as my Christmas playlist. And my Christmas playlist is like all indie Christmas songs. So I will link my Spotify down below if you want to look at either of those. But yeah, that is it for my segments this week. And 
let's hop into the interview with my great friend, Dana. All right, moving into the interview portion of this episode, I would like to welcome my great pal, Dana, to the pod. Hello, Dana. Hi, great to be here. Longtime fan, first time guest. (laughs) So how are you doing today? What are you up to? I'm doing well. I just got off work about half an hour ago. I made some tea to prep the vocal cords for my big interview. So I'm living the life. You really got to get them lubricated, I tell you. (laughs) I know. I have two liquids, three liquids actually, but two notable liquids. I have emergency as well as hot chocolate. I don't imagine they're going to mix well, but (laughs) I just couldn't decide. So I decided to get both. I kind of feel like I heard that emergency is a scam, but really, maybe it's a placebo effect. Like you, If it is, that's fine with me if it's a placebo effect because I actually do feel like it works. You know, that's what I, I drink those like orange juice defense up drinks that are supposed yeah. to keep you from, it's the same thing. It just makes yeah. me feel like I'm doing something good for myself. Yeah. I don't even feel like I'm getting sick. I just feel like it's a good era to boost the immune system, if you know what I mean. Very true. So all of you listening are probably like, who the heck is this? Why are they talking about emergency? So why don't you introduce yourself, the little name, age, where you're from, astrological sign, maybe? Sure. So my name is Dana Dworkin. Um, I'm originally from the suburbs of Chicago, but now I moved to Cambridge in August after going to school in Boston. Um, And I am a Scorpio, like Anya, like all the best people are. You heard it first, folks. Scorpios are the best. So tell us about your your school, your major. Oh, wait, did you already say your school? No, I just said that it was in Boston. But um, I went to Northeastern with Anya. Um, I got a bachelor's in science in business administration with a concentration in marketing and a minor in criminal justice. And I just graduated in May of 2020. And if you can call it a graduation, I don't know, but I got a degree. So that's exactly what I say in work, like related stuff. Everyone always says like, oh, are you a recent grad? I'm like, well, quote unquote, graduated. I got my diploma this year. <laughs> in the mail. <laughs> yeah. But you guys probably have gathered the fact that we went to Northeastern together. You might be wondering how we know each other. And I'll clue you into the fact that Dana is actually my big in my <laughs> sorority. And you sent me one like something one time that was like, at what point do we stop saying big and little and we just say friends? <laughs> but I still call you my little, even though I'm 24 years old now. So <laughs> maybe once I hit 25, I'll reconsider. Yeah. And if you guys are confused why like she's my big, but we graduated at the same time, it's because Northeastern has either five-year or four-year programs. So she is still a year older than me, but we she did five, I did four, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I took Anya as a little when I was a third year or as... It's called when you're at Northeastern for five years. I was a midler and Anya was a sophomore, but I joined the sorority first semester freshman year and Anya joined her first semester sophomore year. So it's a very strange timeline that nobody understands, but I am older than Anya, but we graduated at the same time. (laughs) Yes. I think that was a good explanation. And so um, what are your general thoughts on your sorority experience? We don't have to get super into it, but I figure it's good to touch touch base yeah so like I said I joined first semester freshman year and I uh was at Northeastern for five years so it's a long long time to be in a sorority um I was gone for six months on co-op but other than that I was active in the sorority for four and a half years so I think when I was a freshman and nobody from high school my high school went to Northeastern so I didn't know a single person going in so it really was an incredible way to meet people and make connections on campus and get involved and 
different things. Um, but I think once I kind of had established friends through the sorority by my, you know, third year, I was kind of done meeting new people. I think at that point, I felt like the sorority had kind of done for me what it was going to do for me. And it was a little, it felt a little dragged out that I was still participating as a 23 year old in my fifth year. Um, But I got to do some incredible leadership positions, fundraising positions. I'm so grateful for what it gave to me. But I also understand now, looking back a lot of the inherent issues with sororities in general, in today's current context, I appreciated the historical aspect of it also in a way because I'm Jewish and our sorority is historically a Jewish sorority. So it felt cool to kind of continue on what the founders had hoped for it to be. Yeah, I'm glad I did it. I I try not to have regrets because regretting things doesn't go back and change anything. And I learned a lot from it, but it was maybe a little too long of an experience. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. And looking back at my The Truth About Sororities episode, I wish that's something that I focused on more. So maybe it requires a follow up. Maybe you want to come back and be (laughs) another guest? Yes, I will do some research before I speak. And then I will (laughs) give my opinion. Um, So I swear we're going to get to the main episode content here, guys. But Dana is just so cool. We have another thing to talk about before we get to the main (laughs) topic. Dana was actually the editor of a fashion magazine on Northeastern's campus. Um, the editor-in-chief, in fact. So I just wanted her to talk a little bit about that because I think it's a pretty interesting fun fact. Yeah, so the magazine is called The Avenue, named after Huntington Avenue, which is the main street that runs through campus. And I, it was the first club I ever tried to join when I got to Northeastern. I originally came on as a makeup artist and a writer. Um, I wasn't I didn't have any training in makeup. I just liked to do it on myself and spent way too much time on YouTube in middle school and high school watching beauty gurus. So I thought it would be a cool way to get involved. And then my sophomore year, I believe I got to be, no, maybe my midler year, I got to be the deputy editor. So one step below editor in chief. Um, And then my fourth year, I got to be editor in chief my second semester. It was a crazy experience. It was (laughs) super stressful. I cried in the library multiple times, (laughs) just trying to get everything together. It was a really cool but stressful experience being in charge of something that had so many different facets and moving parts and departments. You know, there was styling, there was hair, there was makeup, there was fashion, lifestyle, beauty editors, um, there was finances to deal with and some of it fell to the president but everything that wasn't you know administrative fell to me and it definitely taught me a lot about delegation um it taught me about not taking things personally because a lot of times when other people would fail to do their job it came back as my fault which is what happens when you want to be in a position of leadership but I also learned that you know there's only so much that you can expect from other people and you can't beat yourself up if you've asked someone to do something and they just don't do it. Um, And it's definitely taught me clear communication. Definitely an example that I always bring up when I talk about that is I was away in New York the semester before. So I got elected in the spring, I was gone in the fall, and then I was in charge the next spring. So I didn't really get to see how the editor-in-chief before me ran things. And what I eventually found out through a bunch of error is that when I said by the end of the day, I meant by midnight. When he said by the end of the day, he meant end of the business day, 5 p.m. So all of the photography team, the design team, 
were expecting things from me by 5 p.m., but I had told the writers to get it to me by midnight. Maybe mm. I said 12 p.m. I meant 12 a.m. Or 11.59 p.m., whatever you want yeah. to call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it definitely taught me you have to be as clear as possible when you're expecting things from people if you're going to get what you want from them. I got asked to run again the next semester. I said no because I just wanted to enjoy my senior year, and it was a lot of stress, but I can't even tell you how proud I felt when I finally got to hold that magazine in my hands and Anya came to the launch party because she was a model in it, unsurprisingly. <laughs> um, and it was a great experience. It was a crazy experience. Wouldn't do it again. Glad I did it. Yeah, I uh, feel similarly about my leadership experience as well. It's funny when they asked you to run again. It's like when people put like the sparkle emojis on either side to like soften <laughs> whatever they're saying. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, also, I don't know if you know this. I'm not sure if you know this. Did you know that Kylie started a magazine on her campus, like inspired by you in the Avenue? No, I did not yeah. know that. So I don't know if Kylie's really, I think Kylie talked about it once in our earlier episodes, but Kylie started the Valley girl because her campus has an area called the Valley, I guess. Um, and so she started the Valley girl magazine because I remember I told her about Dana and she was like, wow, I'd really like to do something like that. And so she ended up starting it on her campus. Wow. I love that. I'm going to have to reach out to her and ask to see some of it. That sounds amazing. Anywho, tell us about your your current life and your post-grad job. I'm sure the people are wondering. Yes. So as Corona has done to everyone with the best laid plans, um, I'm living (laughs) at my parents' house right now. Um, you're not really though you're well, just home really. for the holidays I'm, I'm actually living at my parents house <laughs> I'm home for some very long holidays and unsure when I'm going back but yes yeah, so I graduated in May I went home to Illinois from March until August basically to quarantine and then I moved into my postgrad apartment in Cambridge in August I was supposed to start a job in June but again because of COVID I didn't start until August 31st but I currently work, this is the formal title, as a document management analyst at the United States Attorney's Office in the District of Massachusetts. It also could be called a paralegal or a legal assistant. Paralegal means different things, different places, but my technical role is document management analyst, and I'm a contractor at the USAO. What a title. I love yeah, it. Sounds good. Um, So you guys might be like, hmm, that doesn't sound very aligned with marketing. What's going on? And that is the main topic of this episode. We're just really going to talk about like pivoting away from your major, pivoting away from what you thought you wanted to do when you were 18. I feel like that's something we talk a lot about on this podcast is putting so much pressure on ourselves to figure out our whole life plan when we're so young. But I want this episode and I want Dana to serve as inspiration that your major doesn't have to be what you end up pursuing. And um, yeah, we're going to listen to her story and talk a little bit about how how she did that, how she pivoted. I love that word. <laughs> it's so corporate, but I think it's fun. Pivot, you know? We're going to pivot. And let's circle back on that pivot. <laughs> let's table that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into it. What made you originally choose your major? And at Northeastern, it's like you pick business and then you specialize in marketing or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you're, everyone gets a bachelor's in science of business administration with a concentration in blank. So there's marketing, finance, accounting, supply chain, management systems, stuff like that. So I actually, as you maybe could tell by my extracurriculars, really wanted to go into fashion. I spent every summer doing fashion programs in New York City at LIM, at Parsons, the new school for design. I was planning on applying to like Parsons, FIT, 
places like that that had specific fashion programs. But luckily, I had parents who were very supportive of my plans, but really encouraged me to consider applying to a regular college that maybe had a fashion program, but had other programs just in case I changed my mind. Or even just because, you know, there's a million girls who go to FIT and LIM and Parsons, things like that, and then want to go into fashion, but maybe it would make me stand out a little bit more if I had a degree from a different place that they didn't see every day in uh, resumes and applications. So I actually, oddly enough, I must have gotten a good score on some standardized test when I was in high school, but the summer after maybe my freshman year of high school, I got invited to do a program at Brandeis called the Global Youth Summit on the Future of Medicine. So that was the first what? time. I know. <laughs> I have no idea how that happened, but they like they put an announcement in my local hometown paper. It was like really a big deal. Oh. So um, I was like, I'll put that on my college resume. Like my college applications, <laughs> I have no interest in being a doctor, and pretty much everyone else that was there was planning on doing it. But I, you know, I got invited, so why not? Um, <laughs> so that was the first time I ever visited Massachusetts and I fell in love with Boston and I was like I want to go to school here so bad and like every rebellious teenager well not every but a lot of rebellious teenagers I really didn't want to go to college near my hometown I wanted to be far away I only applied in DC New York City and Boston I got into schools at each place but I figured I'm going to go into fashion I'm going to end up in New York City eventually so why don't I enjoy Boston while I have the chance and then I'll end up in New York City as an adult so I got into Northeastern at the time there was no fashion program I think my freshman year or sophomore year they introduced a fashion minor but at the time there was no fashion program so I was like I'm going to get a business major everywhere you're going to work in the future is a business so business can apply anywhere you want to work. Of all of those concentrations, I thought marketing was the most applicable to my future interests. I didn't necessarily want to be a fashion designer, but I wanted to work in PR or like graphic design, marketing, something like that. So I figured marketing was kind of the closest to my future interests. And I thought that I could, you know, take on a minor or electives regarding design and fashion and kind of make a degree that would fit into my future plans of fashion or cosmetics marketing. That's interesting. I don't think I ever heard that story about Brandeis before. Um, If you guys don't know Brandeis, it's like eight miles away from Boston. It's in Waltham, I think. Um, So it's another school in our area. But that's so funny. What? (laughs) Yeah, it's very out of character. I really enjoyed it. I met some great people. I actually reconnected with one of them recently because she also moved to Boston after college um, but she's actually applying to med school and cares about medicine and I <laughs> I did it for a for a resume boost clout yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, purely for the clout purely for the clout once you started taking classes in business because it sounds like business wasn't really something that you thought you wanted to pursue but it was kind of like the route that made the most sense at Northeastern so I'm curious, like, did you enjoy your business classes? Like, how were you feeling about it once you were in the major? I had mixed feelings about my business classes. Northeastern, I don't know compared to other schools, but it feels like Northeastern has a lot of required classes for the business degree, no matter your concentration. So I had to take two finance, no, one finance class, two accounting classes. You basically have to take classes from every concentration that they offer, even if you're not interested in it at all. I hated the finance classes. I hated the accounting classes. I didn't really care for the supply chain and um, information management systems classes. I felt 
kind of neutral about my marketing classes. I didn't look forward to them necessarily, but they weren't the hardest classes I was taking. So I guess I looked forward to them because I found them to come easily. I'm a person who definitely consumes a lot of media and consumes a lot of marketing. So I enjoyed seeing examples and explanations behind the things I was consuming. And I like being creative. So when I had opportunities to come up with marketing ideas, I found that interesting. I wouldn't say that I was passionate about my, my business classes by any sense of the word. The one I found the most interesting was consumer behavior, which is really just a psychology class that <laughs> with kind of a marketing spin that explains why consumers make the decisions they do. But my freshman year, I was considering doing a marketing and design combined double major that Northeastern offered. I took the intro to design class and really did not like it. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to pursue a minor that I'm interested in, but I don't think is a career goal because I think college should be about expanding your knowledge beyond just what you plan to work in. And I was always obsessed with like Snapped and Dateline and all those true crime shows. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to do a criminal justice minor. And I ended up loving those classes. Those were the classes I was looking forward to going into class. I was excited about doing my homework. I was repeating the knowledge I was learning back to my friends and family because I found this stuff so interesting and I couldn't believe that it wasn't common knowledge these things that were going on in America and in the justice system. And I came from such a sheltered background that I felt my world being expanded by those classes. And I much ended up much preferring them to my business classes. It's funny how you mentioned like the obsession with mysteries and crime shows and stuff, because that's such a Scorpio like trait <laughs> to be into like all the spooky things. Yeah, it's interesting that like your minor ended up being what you were really passionate about in the end. So if you guys have listened for a while, you might know that Northeastern has what's called co-op. And if you haven't, I'll give you a quick little rundown. Basically, it's like six-month internships that you do instead of classes. So you kind of end up on a pattern of like six months classes, six months internship until you graduate. So Dana did three because she did five years and overachiever. Um, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about your three co-op experiences and how you feel like they played into your career path and maybe like the importance of working in the fields to like really figure out what you want to do. Absolutely. My first co-op, I was at a diamond jewelry company. I'm not going to name it because I didn't clear it with them, but yeah, I, there's not a lot of diamond jewelry companies in Boston. You could probably figure it out. <laughs> um, it was really cool to get to play around with the product and, you know, I like sparkly things. So it was cool. I got to you know, customers write in and say, I'm about to purchase this $15,000 ring, send me some pictures of it before I drop this cash. So we would get to take pictures of it at different angles and videos and that kind of stuff. I, and I also enjoyed seeing how all the different parts of the business worked together. So I was on the marketing team, but um, we would have these big all hands meetings where design and, you know, corporate, just a lot of people seeing how they interacted and made the process go from design to creation to marketing to sales to customer relations was all really cool. I think looking back, this company was not really prepared to take on a first time co-op. I think when companies are agreeing to take on first time co-ops, they're agreeing to put a lot of training into something that might not give them a whole lot of output because it was my first office job. I had a job all through high school and retail, but I had never worked in an office before. I had never worked with customer relationship management systems before. I had never done email marketing before. And a lot of the time I felt like I was bothering them when I didn't know how to do things 
or I felt like I had nothing to do because they weren't willing to take the time to teach me how to do it. They would rather just do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was an okay experience. I was really happy when it ended, but in my mind, it was just not the right place and it didn't have anything to do with me not wanting to do marketing. It was just that it wasn't the right job. My second co-op was my dream co-op. And it was part of the reason I came to Northeastern because I knew they worked with this company. It's a major cosmetics company. Their name rhymes with a planet and (laughs) all their products have really inappropriate names. I'll let you do some digging yourself if you want to figure out (laughs) what it's called. My experience there was awful. I literally sat in a closet. It was the product closet, which was cool because I got to hang out with all the product and play around and that kind of stuff. But it was a literal closet and there was three of us that sat in it. My bosses were very condescending. I caught them bullying me at times behind my back, except I caught them. I'm sure you've all seen The Devil Wears Prada and thought it was an exaggeration. It's not. I was picking up chicken wings and diet coke for my boss and she had to have a certain number of ketchups and it had to be put on her desk in a certain way or else she wouldn't be happy so I did get to do some really cool things I got to go to New York Fashion Week I got to see their future product launches years ahead of time their strategy is so laid out uh, so far ahead of time it's so cool to see I got a ton of free product which as I said before I'm a makeup enthusiast and I greatly appreciated that part of it but In the end, even that was not worth it to me for how much turmoil it put me through. After that co-op, I really took kind of a serious look at what I wanted to do with my life, which I I think we'll get into a little bit later. But it led me to my third co-op being at the Department of Justice, again, uh, at the U.S. Attorney's Office. So before I was there full time, I was there as a co-op. And going in, I was very nervous because I had certainly never worked in an environment like that before. It ended up being an incredible experience. It helped solidify my decision to turn away from marketing because of course it was really scary to, and this was my fifth year of college. I pretty much finished my degree. I felt really nervous about making such a drastic career change so late in the game, but it really helped solidify to me that I had made the right choice. I was kind of nervous going in. It's a federal prosecutor's office and, you know, at its, title. That sounds like a very serious job, but the people were incredibly kind and willing to teach me, which were things that I hadn't found in my other co-ops. And I thought that they still kept it light and, you know, knew how to have good relationships despite the serious nature of the job. And they were clearly passionate about what they did, which you have to do when your work is so serious and so time consuming, so subject to public scrutiny. I think you have to really care about what you do. I got to work on civil rights cases, which really aligned closely with my interests and my future job goals. I, the way I describe it is you get to be in the room where it happens, which is Hamilton. Hamilton. (laughs) Like to see all these crazy things going on and you know, the people who are handling them and you see it in the news, but they are kind, helpful, good teachers. It, It was an incredible experience. And I would not have traded it for the world. I am so glad that I decided to do it. Going a little bit off script here, but I'm curious, do you feel like your two marketing experiences were like, do you feel like they were representative of like the greater fashion and like marketing world? Like, do you think that's just kind of a sign of the times or do you feel like those were like specifically 
negative. Obviously, they were they were your only experiences. Maybe you can't really speak to it, but just curious if anyone listening is like in that field, if they should be aware of this kind of thing. Fashion and cosmetics, yes, I would say that my experience at the cosmetics company is unfortunately par for the course. From what I've heard from other people that work in the field, obviously, I've only worked at those two companies. So I can't really speak to the industry as a whole. But I had friends who worked at Hermes, and they also sat in a closet. And they also got treated really badly by their bosses. And they also were really unhappy. I think it's really unfortunate that a lot of the fashion cosmetics industry is based on who you know and being privileged already because a, mine wasn't, but a lot of these co-ops and internships are unpaid. So already like you're being exploited in a way and it's kind of being reserved for only people who can afford to take unpaid jobs. I think that the people that run these companies know that there are a million girls who would kill to have your spot. So you're not going to leave no matter how bad they treat you because there's someone else who will come along and do it without complaining, even though nobody deserves to be treated that way. Um, Again, I've had one really bad experience. I've heard other people have had bad experiences. I'm sure there are people out there who would tell me that they've had great experiences. Nothing that happened to me is anything that's ever happened to them. They can't believe I would say such a thing. And maybe I'm wrong, but that is my perception of how things tend to go in these fields. But marketing as a whole, every company needs marketing. Nonprofits need marketing. Tech companies need marketing. Software companies need marketing. Everything does. Everything that's a product, tangible or intangible, needs marketing. So I'm sure there are places where marketing is an incredible experience. I've had friends, especially at, at tech companies, I've heard really good things. You know, they tend to have really great benefits and work life balance. And I've Obviously, I've had friends in marketing through my major who have stayed in marketing and plan to work in marketing. But I think my interest in marketing was more so in the kinds of companies that I could get to work for. So once I figured out that working for those kinds of companies was not going to be good for me, I didn't really have an interest in marketing anymore. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's the tea, folks. Um, (laughs) Take it with a grain of salt. That's one personal experience. But if this is your dream job, know going in that you might have an experience like I do, but you might not. And I know that if someone had said to me at 18 that I shouldn't do it because these things might happen, I wouldn't have listened. I needed to find that out for myself. And that's the point of co-op to do these things and find out ahead of time if they're really for you. So go after your dreams but know that it's sometimes good to have a fallback in case they turn out to be nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) Love that metaphor. Thank you. So that's kind of a good segue. I feel like we've talked about kind of the reasons that you decided to pivot away from your major, but now I'm curious to talk about exactly how you did it. How did you go about that pivot away from your major? So quote unquote, late in the game, did you think it was easy for you? Did you think it was hard for you? How did that all work? In the months before my co-op at the cosmetics company, I had been taking um, a class called psychology of crime and I found it super interesting. It was about how mental illness plays into criminal behavior, how mental illness is treated or not treated in our criminal justice system, how stigma can lead to crime, things like that. And I think that was one of the first classes that really lit a fire in me that showed me there were terrible things going on. And I felt bad sitting back and 
not doing anything about them. But obviously I'd already committed to doing my next co-op in marketing and I thought this was my dream job. So I was going to try it. I did the co-op at the cosmetics company, realized I hated it and kind of knew after that, that I needed to make a major change. I had one co-op opportunity left and I, that semester took a class called race, crime and justice, which as I'm sure you can tell by the title is about how race and ethnicity play into the American criminal justice system. And again, just opened my eyes to a lot of things that were happening that I felt bad about knowing they were happening and thinking maybe I have privilege and the opportunity to even try to do something about it. How could I ever go shill cosmetics ever again? Which is not to downplay or neg anyone who does want to do those things because I did want to do them for a very long time and I don't think that's a bad thing to want to do. But I just realized it wasn't for me and I found a different passion that was calling me. So um, I went to my academic advisor and I asked if it would be possible at that point to double major. I basically (laughs) already had my minor in criminal justice and had basically already finished my degree in business. She made it seem like a very complicated process and I would have to be in contact with a bunch of different people and try to work it out. And I already had the minor and maybe this was not a good choice, but I didn't even bother. I was like, look, I have the minor. I'm, you know, I'm a second semester, fourth year. So after that, I only had one more semester to take classes because I was going on co-op the fall of my senior year. So I just kind of let it go. I reached out to the co-op coordinator for the criminal justice co-ops to help me look at criminal justice opportunities. And she gave me some good advice about how to play up on my resume, the criminal justice classes I had versus, you know, my marketing major. I just applied to criminal justice co-ops. I applied to a lot of co-ops that were meant for first time co-op students because I had no criminal justice co-op experience, despite having had two marketing co-ops. I was worried about hearing back from anywhere. I got a couple interview offers. And again, something to note, I got lucky that I was able to take unpaid co-ops. And I think that's the only way I was able to get a first-time criminal justice co-op as a third-time co-op student because a lot of people just can't take those jobs and it's not fair and I don't agree with it and I wish it was different and I think that's something that Northeastern should really take into account in order to make co-op accessible to students from all kinds of economic backgrounds. Um, But I had already done two co-ops paid because the business school co-ops are required to be paid unless they're for like nonprofit organizations. So I was really lucky to have that opportunity And when I came in to do my interview at the United States Attorney's Office, the interviewer basically was like, I had to call you in because I had no idea why you were applying for this job. (laughs) A jewelry company on your resume, you have a cosmetics company on your resume, you have a degree in marketing, all your extracurriculars are fashion and sorority related. Why are you here? Like, what do you, I have to ask you. And I told him my story and I found that people are really receptive to the story and appreciate that I took such a risk so late in my college career. I think they see that I had to be really, really passionate about making this change because it was a really scary and big change to make. And I could have easily just not done it and life would have been a lot easier. I think that people see that I made the more difficult choice and was willing to take the road not intended. And I think that honestly came to my advantage. 
which I think is something I would maybe communicate if anyone is listening who wants to make a drastic career change. Yes, on your resume, in your interviews, you should play up that whatever knowledge you do have of your new field and that you've made the effort to try to gain as much knowledge about it as possible. But I, I think you shouldn't be afraid to say, I changed my mind and I changed my mind because I realized that this is what I really, really want to do. And I took the harder path in changing my mind, but that shows you how much I want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And going back a little bit, the way that you described like that realization that you could do something and you would never be able to live with yourself if you didn't do something um, about the injustices that you were seeing is like exactly how I feel about climate change. And I feel like you worded it in a really eloquent way. So I just wanted to shout you out for that one. But yeah, I do think it's really brave to pivot so late. And I think it's really good advice to kind of play that up to any employers or anyone that is willing to listen to your story because it really shows how much you want it, like you said. So I'm curious because this was, I don't know, because this was your minor and not your major, Mm -hmm. do you feel like you faced any unique challenges trying to get a job outside of your degree? And how did that go? I'm talking full-time job, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think I got incredibly lucky in a lot of ways with my current full-time job. I already had connections there because I was there as a intern, co-op, whatever you want to call it. And I was a first semester senior when I co-op there. So I took full advantage of that and reached out to the people who had positions that I thought would be hiring when I was graduating and asked them as many questions as I could about what the ideal fit for the job was and how I could apply and really made my intention to come back and work there very clear. I also got very lucky in that I interviewed and got the job in February, right before Mm -hmm the pandemic hit and the job market collapsed or imploded, whatever you want to call it. So I personally don't think I did other than the questions that I got both in my co-op interview and my full-time interview on what was I doing there with a marketing degree and in a, you know, federal law enforcement office. (laughs) But I do think that beyond your first job or two out of college, major isn't going to matter because experience is what matters. So if you have any opportunities, if you're still in college to intern in a field unrelated to your major that you think you might want to work in or your first job out of college, if you can find anything in that field, even if it's not exactly what you want to do eventually, I think you should, if you are able to take that opportunity, because I think you can have a degree in something, but if you have no experience in it, then that doesn't really prove much to an employer the way that past work experience does prove that you are able to work in a field. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I feel like we were so lucky to have the co-op program. Future plans. I hate this question. I'm sure you hate (laughs) this question too. We all hate this question. Where do you see yourself in five years, in 10 years? And do you think you'll ever quote unquote use your degree? Do you think you'll ever work in the marketing field again? You sound like my dad when you ask me where I'm going to be in five years. I have no idea. The typical term for someone in my position is about two years. Um, And I do intend to stay for that period of time to kind of get the full experience. And I just want to get the most out of it as possible. Mm -hmm. My plan right now is to go to law school after that. But as evidenced by this entire conversation, I am prone to changing my mind. So (laughs) I am, I've studied a little bit for the LSAT. I 
listen to Kylie's episode was very helpful. About <laughs> flying to law school and LSAT and all that stuff. Um, I'm going to start seriously studying in January, which I've been saying all year and now it's getting really close to January and I'm not excited about it. <laughs> My hope is to work in civil rights law. Um, the United States Attorney's Office in Massachusetts and you know other districts has an incredible civil rights program. Um, when I was there as a co-op, I got to work on um, all kinds of discrimination cases that, you know, these were the reasons that I wanted to try to go into law because I learned all about these injustices that were happening and I wanted to try to do something about it. And I know there's a million people who feel that way and not everybody gets to change the world and I don't think I'm going to change the world, but I'd like to try to change something. So (laughs) my hope is to go to law school and that so I'd be graduating in about five years if I go or if not law school then some kind of grad school involving criminal justice you know it's a pretty specific area of law it's not exactly a huge money maker or you know a, something that is abundantly available in terms of job opportunities but there are tons of places like the ACLU the ADL um places like that that are looking for civil rights lawyers. Um, I haven't really gotten that far. And I'm sure as a lot of you are feeling right now, it's very hard to plan anything more than two weeks in advance because everything is rapidly changing. And all the plans that we all had for right now are probably not happening the way we plan them to. So I'm trying not to get too ahead of myself. I know that I am going to continue working at this job for two years. I know that I would like to go to grad school at some point. And that's about as far as I've let myself get because why why set myself up to be disappointed? But just take it, you know, a little bit at a time. And in terms of if I would ever go back to marketing, it's definitely something I've thought about. And like I've said, I I don't think there's anything wrong with going into marketing. And if I ended up back in marketing and it made me happy, then I would be glad to do that. Something my my mom keeps telling me or kept telling me when I was panicking, deciding about what to do was, okay, you go to law school and you decide to want to, you want to go back to marketing, then they just pay you more because you can do their marketing, but you can also fact check them and see if any of the claims they're making are illegal and make sure <laughs> that nothing they're doing is copyright infringement, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, if I were to go back to marketing, I would hope to do marketing for something like a nonprofit or a an organization that is doing good for the world, something that I feel good about when I go home at the end of the day and where I feel respected and like my work has made at least a little bit of difference. So I I definitely haven't ruled it out, but it's not my plan right now. And I'm not particularly religious, but I like the saying people make plans and God laughs. Like Mm -hmm. you could call it the like people make plans and the universe laughs whatever you want to call it we'll see but that's my that's my rough outline (laughs) I think 2020 has really proven that sentiment to us and we talk a lot about that um the idea that like our plans are ruined our plans are this or that but um I have mentioned this before on the show but one time a mentor figure said to me earlier this year that our plans aren't ruined they're not down the drain they're just down the timeline (laughs) so um whether or not you can make plans or not I feel like we're all kind of in the same boat and it's important to remember that there's community around not knowing what the heck you're doing at age 20 whatever in a pandemic so let's lean on each other we're all in the same spot and I'm really sorry if you hear my cat I have barricaded my door (laughs) so that she can't come in because she knows how to open it but she's meowing excessively Our final question before we get into our game of this or that, what do you want 
the listeners of the pod to take away from this episode? Kind of a loaded question, but if you could summarize your main pieces of advice. Ooh, that's a big one. I think something that I have been struggling with in making this decision, even now making future decisions going forward is feeling like I am late. Mm. Like Kylie is a year younger than me. She graduated college at the same time as me. She's already in her first semester of law school. I'm not going to law school for at least another two years if I ever go. When I graduate, I'll be 28 and a half. And that, to me, when I was 21, 22, making these decisions sounded way too late. I was like, how am I, how can I not graduate grad school until I'm almost 29? Like, I feel like there's so much pressure, like you were saying, to have it all figured out. It's hard now during a pandemic, but it's always hard. My mom was like, Dana, there are people who become specialized surgeons that don't get to start practicing until they're in their 40s. You're still going to be in your 20s when you graduate law school if you go on that timeline. And even if you were in your 30s or your 40s, like, that's still young. Like, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. When you're 23, 24 years old, I still haven't accepted that I'm 24 yet. So I'm working on it. (laughs) Um, Like, you shouldn't worry about anything being too late. You have so much time. And I know when you're young, it feels like 29 is ancient. And if you don't have your career figured out by then that you failed. I was talking to a woman who was in charge of a major division of the office where I work. And she was like, I didn't go back to law school until I was in my late 30s. And now look where I am. Like, you really can change your decision at any point. It can be in college, it can be after college, it can be after you've worked in a field for 10 years. I know it sounds silly coming from me, someone who is still so young, but I think something to take away is you're you're never late to the game. You're not behind. Everyone is always figuring things out, even people that you think are adults who have it all figured out. And don't get down on yourself for feeling like you don't have it figured out yet because no one ever really does. <laughs> yeah, I think that's been like the biggest thing I've learned in graduating college and like talking to people a little older than me, a lot older than me, nobody knows what they're doing. And if they look like they know what they're doing, it's really just a show. (laughs) Nobody knows what they're doing. It doesn't matter how old you are, but yeah, I love that sentiment. I think that's really great advice and really nice to end the official episode on. So now I'm really excited about this. I love this part. We're going to play this or that. Uh, If you guys don't know, Dana has not seen these questions. So it's going to be a real rapid fire, candid (laughs) response. Um, but they're pretty light, so don't worry. Okay. So, ready? Rain or snow? Rain. Why? Um, I love the sound it makes when you're falling asleep. Fair. And I like the sound it makes on the glass. There's a word for, like, the smell of rain. Do you know the word? Let me find it. Oh, it's like pluviophile. No. How do you know? <laughs> pluviophile is when you like, is someone who loves the rain, right? Oh, I don't know. It's, the word for the smell of rain is Petrachor? Caused by certain compounds like ozone, plant oils. Look at that. Wow, the more you know. Wait, I want to look up pluviophile. Yeah, one who loves rain. So that's you? You're a, would you consider yourself a pluviophile? I would, personally. All right. See, I'm personally a, a snow gal mm. because I, I mean, we did have a big snowstorm here like two days ago. And I wasn't in the best mood, but generally, I just really don't like getting wet. Like I, mm-hmm. I hate that about rain. I hate that I can go outside and I have to get wet. So I feel like snow, you don't really get wet, you know. I love rain on days where you really didn't want to leave the house, anyways, and now yeah. you have an excuse not to. Right, but rain when you actually have to do stuff or like walk to the like subway station or whatever is 
terrible, horrible. Yeah, doesn't bother me. Really? Yeah. Intrigue. All right. One next feels one. Like a duck splashing around in all of this wet. What? <laughs> it's a John Mulaney quote. Wait, say it again. He's talking about um, his old boss who like comes in out of the rain, and his boss just goes, "One feels like a duck splashing around in all this wet." I am not familiar, but it's very cute. <laughs> um, next one: lose all your money or lose all your photos. Ooh. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. It's so tough because you can't like buy back your photos even if you had the money. You know what I mean? I think I'd rather lose all my money, but I'd be really upset. Yeah, it wouldn't be great either way. No. <laughs> but like I have, I think I have a really bad memory. So sometimes I just go back and look at photos and it reminds me of like places I've traveled and things I've eaten and good times. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'd be really sad if I lost essentially a bunch of memories. Yeah, it's not losing photos. It's just losing the greater half of your brain. All right, the next one, donut or bagel? Oh, my God. These are really some hard-hitting questions. (laughs) Um, I think I would have to say bagel because there are other great dessert alternatives, but there is nothing like a good bagel. I respect that. What is your preferred bagel variety? It used to be whole wheat because I thought that health was more important than taste. Mm-hmm. Since I have let myself have fun, it's got to be an everything bagel. Right. That's the right answer. I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah. For some reason, I thought you were going to say cinnamon raisin. But Really? Okay. No, I hate cinnamon raisin. I don't hate it. You were just giving me that energy. So I was like nervous because obviously. So rude. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know if this actually makes sense now that I'm reading it, but extravagant or minimalist? (laughs) Oh, extravagant. I would love to be a minimalist. I'm simply not. I call my apartment style eccentric maximalist because I just- I mean, that's the word I wanted. Maximalist. maximalist, Yeah. I I love tchotchkes. I love stuff. I love like mid-century modern, like, but with gold and bright colors. Um, Mm -hmm. Like whenever I like would go visit Anya's apartment, I'd be like, this is how I want to be. I can't do it. <laughs> I just want stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah. That's what my mom is. She's like, she's like, I respect Marie Kondo. I'll just never be able to do <laughs> no. it. I'll just never do it. No. All right. Last one. Idealistic or realistic? Ooh. What do I want to be or what am I? I guess however you take it. Oh. Um. I think that I am a pessimist, but I think of it as being realist. Yeah, I agree with that. I would like to be an idealist, but I think that in a lot of ways I am. I think I'm an idealist about greater things that don't involve me. Like I think in terms of things like climate change or like social change, things like that. I really like to think of how good things could be and hope for those things. But I think personally, I I try to keep it more realistic because I always say, and I know this is a really negative thing to say, but I always say like, don't expect a lot because if you're right, then you won't be disappointed. And if you're wrong, you'll be pleasantly surprised. (laughs) I I agree with what you said. I think I'm really like, I'm a realist in my life, but I agree for like, like I call myself a climate optimist. Mm. All right. Well, that concludes our episode. I just want to say thank you so much to Dana for being our lovely guest today and spitting some real truths, some real facts. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I've had such a lovely time. So uh, you guys know what to do. Follow our Instagram, follow us on TikTok, 
submit an anonymous suggestion through the suggestion box, but don't be too mean. <laughs> um, and feel free to DM us at any point and uh, we'll talk to you guys next Tuesday. Bye guys. Bye. <laughs>